I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is J.M. Fenster, author and columnist for Forbes magazine Audacity. Her new book is Cheaters Always Win, The Story of America. Cheaters, including top politicians, many would say, continue to survive and thrive, casting their influence over the rest of our society. J.M. Fenster argues that 2016 was a turning point in what was acceptable in American politics and, in turn, American lives, and examines cheaters in every sphere, asking how they get away with it and, most shockingly, how we let them. She discusses its historical roots, its permeation into our democracy, our society, and our homes, and how it has reshaped our national ethics to become ultimately an American tradition. Uh, J.M. Fenster has been featured in American Heritage, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, and she's had many best-selling books. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for that nice intro, too. Well, okay, let's begin. The story of America cheating. That's... (laughs) kind of a uh, cheaters always win yeah. yeah well I think that in the present tense that's a pretty arguable case because um, it's become kind of more accepted today than it was even you know over the course of my own lifetime I think a lot of people listening would agree that there used to be a very dark cloud that hung over cheaters um, Often they had to leave town if they were found, uh, you know, having committed adultery or cheating in their business or, you know, school. Um, but today there's, there's, a, there's a tolerance that has, I think, changed the whole attitude toward cheaters. How has this evolved? Let's talk about the evolution, because I think sometimes we talk about, you know, present 2016, our present administration, cheating, lying, but it didn't just happen in 2016. There's been, it has evolved so that this, to allow this kind of of behavior to thrive. So can we? Yeah. 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 I, 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 um, I can't say that, you know, the book is sort of a chronological history of cheating because it, it's weighted much more toward our own, you know, last 40, 50 years at least. But in the 18th, in the 19th century, the 1800s, there are a lot of examples in the book. For example, a baseball player in the 1870s. Um, at the time, the National League had just been formed and a lot of players did a kind of a point shaving thing, a scheme. And um, so this one cheater, the best, probably the best, uh, pitcher in the whole, you know, world of Major League Baseball, he finally indulged in a little bit of this point shaving kind of thing and was caught along with some of his colleagues and the, the newly named commissioner of baseball, William Halbert. He, you know, he's kind of a pillar in the history of cheating in America because he would absolutely not overlook anything about this scandal. Um, no second chances. He banished all of the perpetrators for life from baseball. And the one fellow featured in the book, James Devlin, could not handle this um, and wrote apparently every day for the rest of his life to the commissioner begging for reinstatement. But no way. He was out forever because he had cheated on his only on his livelihood on you know something that should have been a privilege to play baseball for a living and he cheated 
So he's an example. I mean, I call him kind of the martyr of, of baseball because he <laughs> he set the the bar for for years to come on baseball that you couldn't you know you couldn't get a second chance. Well, I think we know that today you can in in sports and a lot of other things. Um, yeah, I think that's the key. I think what you're saying is, I mean, the consequences for cheating have changed. I guess people's yeah. innate behavior or what they want to do is, is still maybe the same, that we, um, you know, if sort of left to our own devices, there would be, you know, we would, we would, we cheat, but there have to be consequences and that's, that's really, yeah, changed. Um, yeah, and I think the consequences are getting, um, you know, easier and easier to live with. Uh, you know, three times, four times, you're forgiven in most things. Another example from the 1800s that I, I, I can't quantify completely, but in the early days, if you committed a three, you basically had to move. You know, there just wasn't uh, room for you in your town or city or neighborhood anymore if you had committed adultery. They might not put you in, you know, they might not tar and feather you, but you had to move. So one of the, my little pet theories is that the, a lot of the West was settled in the early 1800s by adulterers because they, <laughs> they had no choice but to go West. So, And that's well, not true either. I think we all kind of know that that's another thing that's accepted, maybe not happily, but accepted. You don't, you don't, people don't move anymore because they were, they were caught in an affair. Well, what, what was it? Uh, um, who had to wear her, the A on her chest in the, yes. the Puritans? Hester Prynne. Right, Scarlet Hester, Letter, right. Yeah, Scarlet Letter. I mean, she, that, that certainly doesn't exist anymore. That's true. Um, actually, yeah. wasn't Australia founded by criminals? I mean, that they send all well, the, yeah. The, yeah, and I think some of our states, which will be unnamed, were also um, <laughs> officially. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, the, my research shows that an awful lot of our earliest settlers had three or four wives or husbands back east. So, so that's infidelity. That, okay, that's that's yeah. okay. And you sort of co- you cover the infidelity, political cheating, cheating in sports. Let's get to some of those. Well, that's infidelity. What about political cheating? Um, well, actually, I I'll tell you the in the in the book I I um, purposely write more about, if you will, the voters or the electorate. I try to make this on eye level. Um, our everyday cheating, if you will, and everyday forgiving of cheating. And um, so I didn't cover some of the giant political scandals that we know about because I wanted to get to the root of why voters are now overlooking or or uh, still voting for people who have been caught in major scandals. Um, that's what's changed, I think, uh, that the, the voters no longer consider one act of cheating or adultery in particular as being you know, uh, canceling out any future in politics for a candidate. We dismiss it, don't we? We dismiss their behavior. I, yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, again, I didn't want to go into it in the book because I'm more interested in the in the voters. But you know, Mark Sanford in South Carolina had a major scandal and was as governor, and then uh, in the in the realm of adultery, and then has been re-elect- has been elected as a congressman. So that's 
kind of the more the template now than being run out of politics. And our president, however you feel about him, the book isn't about Trump in particular, but he has certainly uh, drawn a new line as far as being a self-admitted cheater before he was, before he even ran, he wrote books admitting to some of his philandering and the voters kind of shrugged that off, which is, Something very new in American politics. Yeah, is it the behavior? I'm getting back to that, and I know yeah. I want to talk more about the, the the voters, as you say, the people, why yeah. they dismiss that kind of behavior. But traditionally, haven't we always done that? I mean, people in power, men in now it's men in power, really, because let's talk about presidents of the United States. As far yeah. back, it seems to me that you can the study history in terms of the presidents, they all had a girlfriend, a lover, or or more than that, because men in, that's what men in power did, or do, or continue to do. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was surprising at any rate. I, I um, And um, it, it was a whole different culture in that it was kept secret. Um, and so I'm, I'm treading kind of a, you know, a very thin line of logic here, but had it been known, or in cases where it was known, the career was over for for politicians. So, um, you know, my favorite president, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, there's no denying that he had had an affair 20 years before he was elected president. Had that been known, I don't think he could have run for dog catcher, let alone, you know, governor and then president. So it's, but didn't you know, his mother have a lot to do with it? His mother protected him. She wanted him to be president. She was, that was... Oh, her goal. oh, I and, think he wanted, yeah, I think he wanted to be president, too. Yeah, yeah. he was kind of groomed for leadership, and it happened. And I, you know, I can't defend anybody for that. You know, he had five little babes at home, babies at home, and and um, still fell in love with someone, someone not his wife. So I, I, uh, I, I think it was kept secret, as you say, by the family and by reporters at the time. Uh, who who might have known, and that's kind of a whole other culture that that existed, where, as you say, men in power had an extra shroud of secrecy over some of their their philanderings. But then there was a middle a middle grade where people like Gary Hart were caught, you know, where we knew about everything and we as an electorate disapproved. Um, Jimmy Carter lusting in his heart, darn near was <laughs> lost his, lost his, um, you know, primary fight because that was his nomination was at stake because he admitted that he admired other women in a, what was felt at the time was cheating just to look at women in a, you know, with lust or in a carnal sense was, considered cheating whether you did anything about it or not and now we're in a whole other as you were mentioning evolution now we're in a stage where i guess we know about these things and as a as an electorate overlook it because of changes in our i assume changes in our own lives uh, as far as tolerance for cheating do you think that cheating infidelity um, also, you can generalize that, let's say, that behavior. If you're going to cheat on your spouse or your partner, that that means you sort of have cheating in your 
blood in your veins, that it's going to make you more um, susceptible to cheating in business, to cheating in politics, to cheating in sports, We have uh, to cheating uh, in, in other areas of your life? Well, uh, that's a great question. I, and um, and I, I can only say I think what's more interesting What's more obvious in that um, that vein is how people consider themselves non-cheaters because they've compartmentalized their cheating, and so they can say like this one marathon man that loved marathon running, and in the eighties when there were a lot of scandals about Rosie Ruiz and other people hopping on subways to win marathons, you know, and lots of cheating going on in marathon running at that time, and he said. Uh, I might cheat on my wife. I probably cheat on my taxes, but I would never cheat on marathon running. Well, that's a sin. <laughs> so um, I think he considered himself a good person because there was something he held he held dear. And um, and I would say most cheaters that I studied had that same attitude that they could forgive themselves because there were aspects of their lives that were sacred. Compartmentalization, I think that's key. You just mentioned that word. That's true. Yeah. I, I might do this in this area, but I certainly would never do that in, in, in another yeah. part of my and life. And therefore, I'm a good person. And therefore, therefore, I'm a good person. Yeah. Exactly. What about academic cheating? Because now, you know, all of these these scandals with the, the celebrities, the movie stars paying their way to get their kids into yeah. Ivy League schools, and and all and and also yeah. the coaches are cheating, and and these, you know, the universities. So um, that permeates. That that's really a. I don't think you can compartmentalize that, can you? That's that's serious. That's that's well, really you know, first of all that crossed into illegality. I mean, a, a lot a lot of cheating does, but, it, you know, I had to pull it in somehow or, or, you know, draw a line around cheating. And I think what's the most interesting is when you proactively uh, and voluntarily agree to a set of rules and then break them for your own good, you know. So, um, so the cheating, at, at, for example, the, the, uh, the, military academies where there are absolute honor codes. They go over them, they read them, they make sure and when those people cheat, it's it's an example of the most egregious, you know, betrayal of the commitment that they made voluntarily. Nobody had a gun to their head to say they would not, you know, get the answers or or uh, plagiarize and then when they do, that's bold-faced cheating. In the case of the the parents, um, which, as I say, that crosses into the land of, you know, criminal activity, but um, but that's, you know, what they call in NASCAR trying to get a little edge or, you know, if you're, you're of a certain ilk, you just consider that the end justifies the means and um, it's... It's, uh, I'm not sure they agreed to anything in advance, you know, in that sense of cheating, but boy, you could just imagine the good candidates that didn't get into college because these poor students did get into college with their parents' bad ethics. And that kind of brings up, you know, a big topic is how do you raise children today when 
um, to coin a phrase, cheaters do always win, or at least they're out there. How do you how do you tell your children that some parents will do anything to get you into college and I'm not sure they're always punished. In this case, they were, but we all know cases where people got into college under some kind of, you know, scheme. So it's very hard to think how this might change with, you know, children being raised in a new environment. Well, I mean, any suggestions? Because the title of your book, Cheaters Always Win, the story of America, um, that's a, you know, that's a, is is that where we're headed or we're just going to go down that path because um because some of this cheating and I think you what you said about the military is if you're cheating and I don't know if you can separate it but let's say within your own family you have not taken an oath of office or you've not taken an you know put yourself in a position where you're representing other people is that different yeah. And and does that have, it has different consequences? Like if you're in the military and you cheat and you go against those code of ethics, can have yeah. you know that can impact millions of people and in, in, yeah. Uh, in, in yeah, which is not necessarily the case for all of us when we if if we well the only yeah. the only cheating that I that I found that has no consequences really is cheating at solitaire <laughs> because <laughs> God, go to it if it makes you feel good, but um, in terms of Every other kind of cheating, if you, you know, think twice, there's somebody that's getting hurt. And that's, in some cases, why people cheat is as a weapon. Frankly, you know, it makes them powerful over other people. And that feels good to a certain, you know, warped mind. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's always somebody hurt in every example in the book, at least. There's always somebody that missed out on going to you know, very few love triangles or all three people happy at the end of it. Uh, and um, certainly business cheating, same thing. There's somebody that goes out of business because you cut a deal that uh, went against the contract. So there's, um, I don't think there is victimless cheating except solitaire. So what can we do? What I mean, we don't want to yeah, be, be policing everybody, I don't think. Right. Um, and, we have to sort of reinvent a new code of ethics or where are we headed? And as you say, where are we headed yeah. in terms of educating our kids about cheating? Yeah, I, I, I certainly, you know, like to shine a light on anything that has changed in our own lifetimes. That's sort of fascinating how, how it catches up with us. Uh, this and, you know, maybe some other things that have changed in our own lifetimes. But um, I do think shining a light and, thinking it through on, a, in, on an individual basis. I, I'm pessimistic that any leader can come along for the simple reason that the national sport is finding out the peccadilloes of anybody that tries to, tries to uh, raise the ethics of, of the nation. You know, that's, a, that's um, a dangerous place to put yourself. And so I'm not sure where it's going to come from leadership. I think it's going to come from people themselves just on a cyclical kind of thing saying, I'm, I, this is not the America we want. We need to get back to what George Washington called the public virtue. If you want to be a good American, you've got to be, a, he really did say, you've got to be an honest American. 
Yes, that's well said, the father of our country. But politics, yeah. as you just mentioned, don't they describe politics as a blood sport? So, I guess <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I if they if they go as far as they they can, but I, I I'm pretty sure right now we'd all agree that uh, however you feel about Donald Trump, it's not his presidency, but his ethics that you know, he's laid out on the table in some of his own writings. And um, I'm not sure whether voters, you know, really understood when they voted for him that they might be, they they might be making this all right for the future. So I, I have faith that, you know, he'll turn himself around. <laughs> I don't know. Or, I don't know. voters... <laughs> Voters will realize, I think, that, that we really got to have some, some kind of um, standard in, our, yeah. in the people we elect. Uh, yeah, I think, he, uh, to me, I don't, I don't think that uh, Mr. Trump is going to turn himself around, but as you mentioned <laughs> earlier, it's maybe we as the people who are in the uh, who are doing the voters? We have to become more aware of where where we are and what's happening, and then in in turn do something about it in terms of who we vote for and hold yeah, who, hold our leaders to a higher standard. It's up to us to do that. That's perfectly put. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly where it. it and I do think America goes in these cycles, so I'm I'm optimistic that if we just kind of look back to some of some of the good leaders and think about our own lives and uh, you know I'm I'm at the top of the list so we we've, we've all got to think a are we compartmentalizing in some way and you know if we are are we at least aware of it um and b um when people in our circle do cheat is it easier to to shrug it off than to confront it a little bit more and i know it's easier to shrug it off yeah but we yeah, I think that's well said. And we have two minutes left, so or barely. Um, so give us a website that we can go to um, to get where we can buy your book, obviously, and online. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's on Amazon, um, you know, and, and Barnes and & Noble. It's in all the stores and so forth. Um, my website, which is, um, I plead guilty, it's sorely uh, in need of updating. It's Jay Fenster. Dot com and I'd love to hear from any of the listeners about their experiences. They can get in touch with me through jfenster.com. And, um, and our publishing company, 12, that's like the number, 12, um, they have a really nice discussion page on the book, too. So uh, there's a fair amount out there, and I always love to hear from, from people about their thoughts. So, Julie M. Fenster, J.M. Fenster, thanks so much for being on the show. The book is Cheaters Always Win, the Story of America. She's a columnist for the Forbes magazine, Audacity. Thank, have a great holiday. Yes, thank you so much. Wonderful conversation. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 